Hello and welcome to She Source, Her Voice, Her Rights. We are Care Canada's Youth Champions, a group of young people across Canada who are passionate advocates for sexual and reproductive health rights. We're excited to discuss and raise awareness about young women's rights and choices in Kenya, Uganda, and Zambia. Together, we will explore how these global issues connect to our lives as Canadian youth and discover ways in which we can all take action. We will also talk about the SheSource project, which improves access to health and education, which are areas we want to see change in. Join us! Okay, welcome back to episode two of the She Soars, Her Rights, Her Voice podcast. Thanks so much for joining us for not only one, but two episodes of this podcast now. If you haven't listened to the first podcast, it's only 15 minutes, would definitely recommend listening to that first, because it will just kind of provide some more context about who we are. And yeah, what we covered last time and kind of what we're going to be covering going forward. So I'm Lauren, and I'm joined today by Madeline and Amal. Hi. Hi, everyone. We're part of the Youth Champion Group with Care Canada, and we have three other members as well who you'll be hearing from at a later date, who we've introduced in the last podcast as well. So the last podcast, we kind of talked about what we do as the Youth Champions, as well as talked more about the SheSource project, which is working in Kenya, Uganda, and Zambia. We talked about what SRHR is, sexual and reproductive health and rights. So that was kind of an intro to that, which we'll be diving more into today. We also kind of just discussed like how and why we've each become involved in this project and what we're kind of excited about going forward. Definitely go back and listen to that for some more context. And yeah, I guess we'll dive further into this episode and we're going to start by kind of digging in deeper into what the SheSource project actually is. So Molly, I believe you are the expert on that topic for today. Do you want to take it away? Thanks, Lauren. Yeah, so I'm going to talk a little bit about what the SheSource project actually is. So to start off, like what even is that long acronym, SheSource? It stands for Sexual and Productive Health and Economic Empowerment, Supporting Out-of-School Adolescent Girls' Rights and Skills. It was started in July 2021, and it's extending all the way to January 2029. The project mainly is aiming to deliver inclusive, holistic, sexual and reproductive health rights, life skills, and financial literacy programming for young women and girls who are not in school and boys between 10 to 19 years old. This project is mainly youth-led, with youth leaders in each of the countries involved, Kenya, Uganda, and Zambia. Yeah, so like Amal mentioned, the project is working specifically in Kenya, Uganda, and Zambia, and also in really specific contexts in each of those countries. And the main reason for that, like the reason why those countries, why those specific communities is because these represent areas where any local laws that have been put in place, any improvements that have been made to health systems to try to better address SRHR issues, haven't really been able to reach young people, and in particular, young women and girls. So as a result, in these areas and in Kenya, Uganda, and Zambia, there is really limited access to good comprehensive information about SRHR, as well as really limited access to SRHR services. So for example, one thing you can see if you look at the baseline findings for the SheSource project, which are available on the project website, if you want to look into them in a little more detail, which personally I would recommend, I find them, they're really interesting. You can see that the percentage of girls ages 15 to 19 who are able to make their own SRHR choices 
which is quite a broad concept. It sort of involves having access to all the information and services that you need to make your own SRHR choices, as well as bodily autonomy and a whole host of other things that we can get into a little bit more in a minute when we talk more about SRHR. But the percentage of girls ages 15 to 19 who are able to make those choices is only 48% in Zambia, 43% in Kenya, and only 28% in Uganda. So there is a really large proportion of young women and girls who just really don't have access to what they need to be able to really take action, take control of their own sexual and reproductive health. And so ultimately, that's why these specific countries, because these young women and girls are left really at risk as they deal with difficult and often contradicting social norms, gender roles, and just a whole host of different expectations that are being applied to their sexuality. So maybe, Lauren, you could talk a little bit more about SRHR a little bit deeper, like what are the different components that it entails and what might having better access to SRHR look like? Yeah, absolutely. So this was actually kind of a new term for me going into my involvement with the Youth Champions. I'd never heard of SRHR before and I actually hadn't been involved in many global health projects or anything like that. So yeah, this was all quite a new space for me to be kind of exploring. So yeah, happy to share what I've learned in that, but no, but no means an expert or anything, but I'll, uh, I'll share what I've found kind of in the research and what we've talked about as part of these champions so far. And we'll be kind of diving further into this as well throughout the whole podcast. So this is just a general overview. So some major human rights treaties identify that SRHR, which is sexual and reproductive health rights, entail not only the absence of reproductive or sexual illness, but also the full enjoyment and well-being of sexual health. So SRHR covers all of the different human rights related to sexuality and reproduction. Some general examples of what SRHR could look like would be like equal access to a sexual health clinic, maybe access to contraceptives, spreading education around sexual transmitted infections and safe sex practices, advocating against gender-based violence, and a lot more things. So specifically for the SheSource project, the SRHR activities, some of the examples look like increasing the use of sexual and reproductive health services, especially for youth, such as information on sexually transmitted infections and menstrual hygiene management. Yeah, and kind of just focusing on kind of breaking down stigma for this and focusing on youth health access. And also incorporates improving the delivery of sexual and reproductive health services that respond to the needs and desires of young people, particularly girls, and providing training and resources to youth-led and women's rights organizations to advocate for SRHR policies, other like legal frameworks, and other services that can be more available and useful to young people. So as you can see, just to kind of reiterate the SRHR activities involved in this project, are really kind of geared towards young people and shifting the narrative around how young people can access these services. So going forward, we're going to kind of unpack more about why SRHR and this project is kind of important on the global scale and also in the Canadian context and kind of just, yeah, how these issues can manifest both within Canada and around the world. Thanks, Lauren. So I'm going to talk a little bit about the importance of why sex reproductive health rights 
is necessary to consider on a global scale. And we're also going to talk a little bit about our own experiences in the Canadian context and why it's so important to us. So the issue of sexual reproductive health rights really impacts everyone across the globe, both in similar ways and also different ways as well. The more we recognize this connection and shared experiences among one another, the more effective we will be in diminishing the SRHR issues and spreading awareness across the globe. So I'm going to talk a little bit about some statistics that really reflect the importance of addressing these issues globally. According to Global Affairs Canada, an estimated 257 million women who want to avoid pregnancy are not using safe and or modern methods of contraceptive. And nearly a quarter of all women are not able to say no to sex. According to Global Affairs Canada, 45% of abortions performed globally are unsafe. And this really has led to the hospitalization of approximately 7 million women a year, which caused a 5 to 13% of all maternal deaths. So improving SRHR for young women and girls really enables them to stay in school and advance their gender equality. Recent studies by the UNESCO have shown that each additional year of education in a girl's life can really increase a woman's earnings by up to 20%. So those are a few statistics. But now I kind of want to ask you, Lauren and Madeline, about your kind of experiences, you know, in the Canadian education system, reflections on sexually productive education that you've received or what you've seen. Yeah, I can dive in and we can kind of just bounce off each other. Um, yeah, happy to share my experiences. Yeah, sounds good. So my kind of introduction into sex ed and everything like that was a very embarrassing conversation with my mother when I was in about grade four. Where I was just like, you know, stop talking. This is not <laughs> happening. <laughs> yeah. So I kind of like immediately like had that stigma sort of internalized about it. I didn't know about it, but I also kind of like felt like it was just an embarrassing topic. And then I remember in elementary school, I only had seven girls in my class. So we were all like taken into a separate room and kept very separate from the boys to learn about periods and everything. And it was almost like we like weren't allowed to know what they learned and they weren't allowed to know what we know. And it kind of went on like that until the latter half of my high school, where it was just kept like very separate. Genders were not really mixed or, yeah, talked about in any other way other than like the traditional female male. And yeah, everyone was just kind of learning their specific group, I guess. It was quite like hush-hush, I guess, and just very conventional kind of not talking about contraceptives or anything like that, but talking about abstinence and all of these horrific uh, sexually transmitted infections, but not anything like kind of like how to prevent them or um, ways to talk about uh, consent or anything like that that might like be useful for people that are having sex when they're young people. So, yeah, I think there was definitely a lot of room for improvement. They definitely did do some things right by kind of starting uh, as young as they did. But in my opinion, there's always kind of room for improvement and changes in in that sort of system. Did that like reflect your guys' experience? What, what are your thoughts? I mean, I think it's really interesting that you brought up the way that it was separated based on gender, because that's not I could be misremembering, but that's not something that I remember happening for my like we called it health when I was in elementary school, not sex ed, because it was really just focused on like puberty and things like that. That's not something I remember happening at that point. And in fact, I remember actually my teacher in like grades five and six when we were having those discussions was a woman. And she also brought in one of the other teachers who was a man who like taught in the classroom next to us to sort of get like the different perspectives, I guess, so we could hear about like, 
the changes that male bodies typically go through um, from someone who had experienced it. Yeah, that would be helpful to know, I guess, kind of both sides. Yeah. Yeah. So it was it was I think that was really helpful at that point. But then once I got to middle school and we did start having more like actual sex ed, it was part of our gym class. Like we would have health sex ed with our gym teacher and our gym classes were separated based on genders. So it wasn't even like a deliberate separation, but there was that separation that yeah, now that you say it, it's not something that had occurred to me before, but it did sort of make it feel like something that like it was sort of like secret knowledge or something almost mm. that like wasn't meant to be shared mm-hmm. with guys. Like we were supposed to talk with the opposite sex about what we were mm. learning. And it sort of, I think, yeah, subconsciously just gave the whole thing a sort of secretive sort of feel. Yeah. Yeah, I was just going to mention, like, I would say my experience was pretty similar to both of yours. I definitely remember, like, being in a separate classroom than the boys in, in my class. And it was taught by, like, a female teacher. And they really only taught us about more of the reproductive sense and, like, the menstrual hygiene part, but nothing really about sexual health. And I don't think we really had any focus on it either in high school, from what I remember. but. It's been a while, so I could be just not be remembering. (laughs) But besides that, like for me personally, like the only really information that I got was from school or like from the Internet about sexual reproductive health, because like it's not really something that is discussed in like our culture. So there was a really big stigma about it. Like, I don't think I've had one conversation with my mom about sexual health or reproductive health. Um, So really, like. Looking back, there has been some gaps in the Canadian curriculum that really need to be improved. And I hope they have made changes, but, you know, I haven't really reflected back or talked to anyone who's in the curriculum right now. Yeah, especially like having like read about the how SRHR is defined in different treaties. It's about the full enjoyment and well-being of sexual health. Mm -hmm. I think that side of things is definitely kept out of like the public school system, you know, when you're below 18. And it was taught in kind of like a very like sort of negative connotation or something to be like ashamed of. But if you are doing it, you're going to get this horrific disease or something like that. So it seemed kind of like this like scary thing that was very discouraged which I'm sure can last people on into their adult life and kind of make you feel shame going forward. So I think there's a lot of destigmatization and things like that that we can all kind of agree upon. Yeah, I agree. I'm just going to point out like how similar like our experiences are, even though I believe like we all grew up in different provinces. So like just seeing like how similar it is, is really interesting to me. Yeah, for sure. I was going to say, I know in my experience, it wasn't as like, explicitly stigmatized like there wasn't a super strong focus on abstinence or this sort of like vilification of sex but at the same time there wasn't much discussion about like pleasure like the good aspects that can be associated with like learning about sex it was still very much focused on like sexually transmitted infections and here's what you can do to avoid getting pregnant because that would be like the absolute worst thing that could ever happen. So even though they weren't outright saying that you shouldn't have sex, it was like still sort of subliminally telling us like sex is bad, like 
you know, like this is something you should be afraid of. And like, we're not really going to give you all the tools you need to fully navigate this aspect of life. And like you mentioned, Lauren, like we never really talked, at least that I can remember about consent or what consent looks like Mm -hmm. or why it's important or any of that. And I think that's a really big part of learning about like sexual and reproductive health and rights is like the importance of consent. And it wasn't something that we ever really touched on at school. Mm, Yeah. And just like reflecting back on those global statistics that were shared about just the massive numbers of women around the world that aren't able to say no to sex and uh, yeah, have all of these issues. Mm -hmm. It's no wonder like reflecting back on our own sexual education experiences. Yeah. And the other thing that I wanted to bring up for me too was how I mentioned like from middle school on, it was tied to our gym class. So it was just like Mm -hmm. a couple times a year, we'd have like a health unit where we would do like for a week or two, instead of having regular gym class, we'd go in a portable and we'd learn about whatever that unit was on. And so most of the units weren't even related to like puberty or sex ed or anything like that. Most of them would be like, the dangers of alcohol and drugs or something like that. But even still, that was the only form of sex that we had. And we only had to take gym in grade nine. So after grade nine, if you didn't keep taking, it was sort of whether or not you kept getting sex ed was based on whether or not you decided to keep taking physical education courses. Oh, interesting. Because if you kept taking phys ed, there'd be health units no matter what the phys ed course was. But if you stopped taking gym after grade nine when you didn't have to anymore, you never got any more for the rest of high school. And that's, so that's just one year. And we did maybe four weeks out of the entire year focused on topics related to SRHR. So it was really, really minimal. And that was one of the big failings, I think, was like when we did have the classes, although they weren't amazing, I didn't, in my opinion, they weren't terrible either the way they approached the topics, but it was just so limited the time that we had to talk about it. I would say my experience was similar. I think um, maybe grade 10 was the last time that I had like a formal sexual education class. And yeah, it was it was pretty, pretty like generic at the time. But yeah, it's it's it is interesting, as we've said, like how similar they have been across different like education systems in different provinces. Yeah, because I don't know about the two of you off the top of my head, but I, I went to school in Ontario. So that was my experience just to give context for people listening. Yeah, I was in New Brunswick. I was also in Ontario, but I think I was in like Eastern Ontario. I don't know about you, Madeline, if you were in like the same area. Yeah, I grew up in Ottawa. So, okay. I was in Toronto. So much more further away. So different school boards still. And yeah, it's interesting, even within the same province, like the differences. Yeah. Okay. Well, this was really kind of interesting to talk about and like share our different experiences and everything. I don't know. I've never really had like an opportunity to kind of reflect back on that before. So I'm looking forward to kind of like getting more into these topics and yeah, seeing what everyone's experiences were. Yeah. And I think at some point we were even hoping to have like an episode dedicated to talking a little bit more about sex ed. So I'm now I'm excited to be able to get into that a little deeper and talk about different aspects of that. Yeah, I was thinking like I kind of want to do some actual research and see what the curriculums in all of the provinces are teaching now and see how much it's changed in the last 10 or so years. Yeah, yeah. definitely. I think that would be really interesting. 
But yeah, I think it's probably good if we leave it there for now. We don't want to steal too much content away from future episodes. Yeah. So um, I just want to say thanks everyone for listening and we will see you next time. Thank you all. Bye. Bye for now. Bye. Thanks for listening to She Soars. If you like this episode, please share it on social media, connect with us in the comments, or give us a like. Make sure to catch our next episode by subscribing to our channel and following us wherever you get your podcasts. Follow at Care Canada on Instagram for updates on our show and the project. She Soars stands for Sexual and Reproductive Health and Economic Empowerment, supporting out-of-school adolescent girls' rights and skills in Kenya, Uganda, and Zambia. The project is funded by Global Affairs Canada. Check out our global partner organization. Youth Coalition for Sexual Reproductive Rights, the Center for Reproductive Rights, and Russell's Development for even more project updates. Thanks again for listening. Until next time.